Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary, Port St. Lucie. Let's join Lead Pastor Mike Wiggins with the message. 7. Please turn to Revelation chapter 16, and the title of the message today is simply Seven, and the reason we named it Seven is it goes along with the seven bold judgments here in Revelation 16. Now, I also want you to find Isaiah 24, which is, um, if you open your Bible right in the middle, you'll probably fall into Isaiah, but Isaiah chapter 24, because we're going to read at the end of the message Uh, what Isaiah saw and how it lines up perfectly with what John saw. And so Revelation 16, Isaiah 24. Now as you're turning to those two passages, you need to know this is a serious, heavy message. And some people who are new to Calvary are going to wonder, you know, why in the world are they teaching that? Here's why. If you're with me, can you just say amen so you get this? Here's why. Because in Acts 2.42, the model of the church is that they, the new believers in the church of Jerusalem, after the church was born on the day of Pentecost, it says they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And so you need to know that while the apostles were alive, they were the authority uh, for all matters of doctrine and faith. But then they died. And so thank God they wrote down um, the, the word of God. And so now the written Um, Bible is our final authority for all matters of faith and practice. The first century church, listen, continued steadfastly, everybody look at me, in the apostles' doctrine. Okay, who's John? John's an apostle. What did he write? The book of Revelation. What should we be studying on Sunday mornings? The apostles' doctrine. And so it's a heavy message, I know, but it's straight from the word of God, and we're committed here at Calvary to go through the word of God so that we can be equipped in, uh, to become lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense to you guys? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And so, Father, we thank you for your word. Help us not to skip around in it, but help us to stay true to the parts that are lighthearted and the parts that are heavy, knowing that we need to be in the full counsel of your word. God, help us to grow up spiritually. Help us, Lord, to realize that life is not about us and that we shouldn't be living for ourselves or for the world. Life's about you. We need to live for you and for your kingdom. And so today, as we see the kingdom of the world crumble, I pray that you'll help us to examine our hearts and to think which kingdom are we living for, ours or yours. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, all right, well, around AD 95, this is all by way of review. Before we get to verse one, I need to go back and review to catch everybody up. And so around AD 95, the Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrected Christ, revealed himself to John on the island of Patmos. John was there. He was incarcerated for preaching the word of God. So the Roman government put him on the island of Patmos and He turns around, there's Christ, and Christ says this to John. He says, write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. And so Jesus was saying, in essence, John, I'm about to share with you how the world is going to end. 
And so I want you to write. I want you to write the things you have seen in the past. I want you to write the things that are in the present. And I want you to write the things that are going to take place after this in the future. And so from Revelation 119, we get this divine outline of the book of Revelation. Chapter 1 is all about things past. Chapters 2 and 3 is all about things present. And chapters 4 through 22 is all about things to come. And so in chapter 1, again, John has an experience with the resurrected Christ. And if you weren't there when we taught Revelation 1 in January, you should later on go back and read it. It's an amazing chapter in the Bible. And so after that experience, Jesus said, write the things that you have seen. That's chapter one, his experience with the Lord. And then chapters two and three, um, uh, uh, the Lord uh, dictates to John seven letters to seven churches that were presently functioning in AD 95. That's the things present indicative of the church age. And then you come to chapters four through 22, and Jesus told John to write down the end time events that are gonna take place in the future. All right, so how do you break down chapters four through 22? Here's how. And by the way, the book of Revelation, I know it's a challenge, but it's not that hard to understand. And so in chapters four and five, you see the church is in heaven worshiping the Lamb of God. In chapters six through 19, you see the tribulation is going on on the earth. In chapter 20, you see the millennial, literal, 1,000-year reign of Jesus Christ. And in chapters 21 and 22, thank God, at the end, God wins and you see a new heavens and a new earth. Now, you need to know that at the very beginning of Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, John's on the island of Patmos, and he hears a voice like a trumpet say, come up here. And the next thing you know, John is caught up into heaven. We believe that that is a beautiful picture of the future rapture of the church. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a generation that will not die. I hope we're part of that generation. And so if we are, here's what's going to happen. At some point, we're going to hear the trumpet, and we're going to be caught up, and then we're going to be in heaven with Christ, and look at this, before the tribulation period. It's very interesting that the word church appears over 20 times in chapters 1, 2, and 3, but guess how many times you see the word church in chapters 6 through 19? Anybody want to guess? Zero. Why? We're out of here. Why? Because the tribulation is all about God's wrath and the promise of God to the church, his bride, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, is that we are not appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And so today we're in chapter 16. If you notice, we're getting close to the end of the tribulation period. So in our studies of the tribulation, we have seen humanity pulverized by the seven seal judgments and by the seven trumpet judgment. Labor pains. The judgments are like labor pains that are increasing in frequency and intensity, all leading up to the birth of the kingdom of Christ on the earth. And so again, by way of review, it's been a while since we've studied this, you have seven sealed judgments that are coming upon the world during the last seven years of history as we know it. 
And so the first seal is gonna bring the Antichrist, who's gonna deceive the world with empty promises of peace. Daniel 9, 27, it says that there's gonna be a covenant that's signed by the Antichrist with Israel and her neighbors. That's gonna kick off the 70th week of Daniel, week of years, the last seven years, okay? And so the Antichrist, we as the church, we're not looking for the Antichrist. We're looking for Jesus Christ. And I can't wait until he comes. By the way, did you notice the world didn't end yesterday? Anyway, I told you we'd be here. The second seal judgment comes, and next thing you know, there's global warfare. Why? Because the, all the promises of peace were a farce. And so now the world is engulfed in warfare. That leads to global famine, which leads to global death. And man, in the fourth seal, judgment, one-fourth of humanity is wiped out. Ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing like that in the news today. You see, the church of Thessalonica thought they were in the day of the Lord, and Paul had to write them a letter and say, you're not in the day of the Lord. No, first, before that, the, the restrainer has to be removed, and then the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, will be revealed. I believe the restrainer is the Holy Spirit in the church. We are removed, and then, number one, the Antichrist is revealed. Then there's warfare across the globe. Then there's a famine across the globe. Then a fourth of the population of the world is wiped out. And then you get to the fifth seal and you got all these millions of martyrs in heaven, people who have accepted Christ during the tribulation period as a result of the witness of the 144,000, the two witnesses and the three angels. And what are they doing? They're crying out for God to, to exact judgment and justice against those who murdered them. And then you have, of course, the great earthquake with the uh, sixth seal, the sun's darkened, the moon turns to blood, meteors are falling, the, the sky's receding. I believe that that seal overlaps and corresponds with the seventh bold judgment, which I'll explain later on. And then you have the seventh seal, and there's silence in heaven as heaven anticipates the seven trumpet judgments. You see, the pains are getting closer together. The pains are increasing in intensity. The judgments are starting to come faster. And so the first tr uh, trumpet judgment is blown, if you're taking notes, and hail and fire comes and burns up, listen to this, one-third of the earth's vegetation. There's nothing like that in the news today. And by the way, a lot of these judgments in the future tribulation are very similar to the plagues of Egypt. Have you ever read Exodus? Do you remember the 10 plagues of Egypt? Something similar to the first trumpet judgment happened in Egypt. I have a question for you. Were the 10 plagues of Egypt literal or allegorical? Absolutely literal. And yet most of the church on the earth right now uh, interprets all this stuff allegorically. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not some, allegor uh, some allegory. This is literal stuff. And a third of the earth's vegetation will be burnt up as a result of the first trumpet judgment. Second trumpet judgment, um, John says, I see a great mountain burning with fire. And what happens is that he says it, it, it uh, is thrown into the sea. And so we studied how we believe 
that that's gonna be an asteroid that's gonna impact the earth and the result is a third of the sea life is destroyed. John says, then I saw something like a blazing torch. I personally believe, you may disagree, we're talking nuclear warfare here. And the result of that is that a third of the fresh water of the earth is contaminated. And then you see the fourth trumpet judgment, a third of the celestial bodies are darkened. The fifth trumpet judgment brings these demonic beings that are going across the globe and they're attacking and they're tormenting mankind. Nothing in the news like that today. I keep saying that because I don't want you to follow the religious hype that's based on nonsense where people are trying to say we're right now in the tribulation. We are not in the tribulation period right now. And so then you have the sixth trumpet judgment, one of the worst of all, four fallen angels lead 200 million soldiers to destroy one third of humanity. Did you just hear what I said? Can you imagine that news line when that comes in the future? 200 million soldiers destroying one third of humanity. And then the seventh trumpet judgment, loud voices in heaven, what are they saying? The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Why are they shouting that in heaven? Because we're right at the end. Seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, followed by seven bowl judgments today in chapter 16. So if you're taking notes, and I thank God for this, the bowl judgments are the end of the labor pains. And so just like a woman, a pregnant woman who's in labor, just like her contractions are increasing in frequency right at the end of her labor before she gives birth. In the same way, during the tribulation period, the, the seven bowl judgments are going to increase in frequency. Ladies and gentlemen, chapter 16, these judgments are coming in rapid succession. One after another after another. I personally believe, the Bible doesn't say this, but, but it all points to the fact, I think we're in the last months if not weeks, before the Lord comes back with these bull judgments. And just like a woman's contractions increase in intensity, so the bull judgments, the seven bull judgments, are the most intense judgments of all. And so what are these bull judgments? There's not a lot to explain, but we'll go through it. Look at chapter 16, verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth seven bowls of the what? The wrath of God. Don't forget, if you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, you're not appointed to wrath. By the way, why are you not appointed to wrath? Because Jesus already took your wrath on the cross. And not only did he take your wrath, the wrath of God for your sins, he also imputed to you his righteousness. And so right now, if you're, if, it's a big if, because in every church there's wheat and tares, there's saved and unsaved people, there's people who are trusting in Christ alone, and there's people who are still trusting in themselves. And so if you are saved by grace alone, 
through faith alone, in Christ alone. Not only are your sins forgiven, but you have received the righteousness of Christ, and in God's eyes, it's like you are perfect, positionally. And I think we should give a clap offering to the Lord for that grace, right? That's amazing grace. And so, starting in, <clears throat> yes, we already read it. So starting in chapter 16, verses one, uh, one ends with the wrath of God. Verse two says, so the first angel went and he poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came upon the people, look at this, who's being judged here, who bore the mark of the beast and worshiped its image. What's the first bowl judgment? Painful sores upon humanity. Now, by the time this bowl, this first bowl is poured out on the earth, this judgment comes, you need to know that the Antichrist has been ruling for some time over the world. Ladies and gentlemen, in the end days, there will be a global government. By the way, just the opposite of what President Trump, I got to watch this week, his speech to the UN, where he's talking about individual nations and patriotism and each of those nations putting the, the needs of their nation first. It's just the opposite of that. In the end times, it's a global government. How in the world is a global government going to form in the end times where everybody's bowing down to one guy? Well, there's lots of speculation. I think there's gonna be some type of major catastrophe or warfare that leads the world to this one world government. But nonetheless, the first bold judgments poured out, by the time that happens, the Antichrist has been ruling over the world for some time. Millions of people are going to have, at, by this point, have re already received his mark in their hand or on their forehead, and they're gonna be actively worshiping his image. And so they deserve judgment. Ladies and gentlemen, what we gotta get over is we gotta get over ourselves. We gotta stop thinking that we're so entitled. The world revolves around us and we can live however we wanna live and sin however we wanna sin and there's no consequences. There are consequences to sin. And that's why these bold judgments are coming down upon these people that are worshiping a man. And so what happens specifically is that they have painful sores that come upon them. But it's not because God didn't try to first warn them. Way back in chapter 14, God sent an angel and the angel said to the world, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark, he will drink the wine of the wrath of God. And so what you need to know is that right now if you're living a sinful lifestyle, unrepentant, if you're a child of God, discipline will come. If you're not a child of God, judgment is going to come. But before God disciplines you and before God judges you, he will send a warning to you. And he sends a warning, why? Because listen, God is not willing that anybody should perish, but that all should come to repentance and he's trying. He's trying to reach out through the, the 144 Jewish evangelists, the two witnesses and the three angels. He's trying to get everybody's attention, but they're ignoring him. And so the bowl, the first bowl comes down, painful sores come out on their skin. And then verse three says, the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became like blood of a corpse. And how many living things died that was in the sea? Everything. What's the second bowl judgment? The world's oceans contaminated. 
The oceans cover 70% of the face of the earth. So this is catastrophic, like nothing you've ever seen. Uh, one of the guys that I like to read sometimes in preparation is John MacArthur. He said, quote, exactly what supernatural means God will use to destroy the oceans is not revealed, but the effects will resemble those of the phenomenon known as red tide, concentrated toxic species of algae that kill higher forms of marine life. So whales, sharks, dolphins, octopuses, manatee, walruses, lobsters, shrimp, every kind of fish is gonna perish in the second bowl judgment. I want you to imagine walking out to the beach and seeing thousands of sea creatures floating or washing up on shore, and as far as you can see, the sea is red. We are truly at the end of the world in our Bibles. And so verse four, remember these judgments are coming in rapid succession, one after another after another. It says in verse four, the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they, just like the Nile River back in the times of the plagues of Egypt, they became blood. What's the third bowl judgment? It's the world's fresh water is now contaminated. So now we know we're really near the end. Why? Because human beings cannot survive very long without water. Survivalists tell us that you can live three minutes without air, three days without water, and three weeks without food. They call it the rule of threes. And so only three days without water. Now, some people have survived a week without water. I personally wouldn't try it. In fact, I'm gonna grab a drink right now. <laughs> Getting thirsty just talking about all this. Only three days without water. And so how in the world are people gonna survive after this third bold judgment where the world's fresh water is contaminated. Well, they're gonna to have to drink anything that's already been made. Coke, Pepsi, wine, liquor. I'm sure a lot of people will be getting blitzed <laughs> to try to escape everything that's happening. But soon, I mean, listen, the warehouses of the world and the cupboards of the kitchen can only last so long, and then you know they're gonna put out pots and pans and pray and hope for rain but if they have the number of the beast on their hand or their forehead, they can pray all they want. God certainly is not gonna listen. And so after this third bold judgment, people start to blame God. Isn't that what always happens? They start to blame God for all of their suffering. Why? Because judgments are messing up their world. They think they're all that. They think they're the center of the world. Life is all about me, myself, and I, and now God's interrupting it. God's bringing all this suffering and they're mad and they begin to blame God but whose fault is it that all these things are happening? Mankind. And so an angel has to come and an angel's gotta set the record straight in verse five. It says, and I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, just, everybody say just. Okay, that's God right there. Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was. For you, you brought these judgments 
Why? Why would God do that? Verse six, for they, mankind, have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. Ladies and gentlemen, the wages of sin is death. Don't fool yourself. And so verse seven says, and I heard the altar saying, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. God says it's what they deserve. The world today is corrupt. Have you noticed? But the world in that day is gonna be thoroughly, completely corrupt. The global government of the Antichrist in um, collusion with millions of people who've taken the mark of the beast who are selling out those who are getting saved during the tribulation period. Here's what's gonna happen. The, the global government is gonna kill millions of those who get saved during the tribulation period. And because those in collusion with the government and the government have blood on their hands, God is gonna give them blood to drink. Look at verse eight. It says, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. And they were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. What's the fourth bold judgment? It's scorching heat. Of course, living in Florida, we all know, I hope, that when you go to the beach, you gotta keep reapplying that sunscreen or you're gonna get burned. Even on a cloudy day, you can get burned. How many of you guys ever have been sunburned before, right? Almost all of you. Okay, it's hard to put on your shirt. It's hard to take a shower. It's hard when your so-called friend slaps you on the back, right? Now, times your last sunburn by four, five, six, I don't know, and you start to get a taste of this fourth bowl judgment. Of course, the intense heat that's happening now on the earth is gonna cause people to be really thirsty but in many places, there was only blood to drink. And you'd think, right, you'd think that people would say, okay, I'm gonna repent. But it says at the end of verse nine, they did not repent or give God glory. Look at verse 10. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and the beast's kingdom, which by the way is global. It was plunged into what? darkness, again, very similar to one of the plagues of Egypt, and people gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for the pain and the sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. And so what's the fifth bold judgment? It's global darkness. Again, the Antichrist's kingdom is gonna be global, and so the, the, the darkness is all across the world. People are going to be sitting in the darkness, sweating with these oozing pussy sores and sunburned skin, and they're going to be gnawing on their tongues to try to divert the pain in their minds, and every once in a while, they'll take a break from gnawing on their tongue, and with the same tongue, they'll begin to curse God, and they will not repent. Such is the heart of mankind. Look at verse 12. It says that 
the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. And its water, this is a miracle, was dried up. Why? To prepare the way of the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, okay, now we're entering into very symbolic or metaphorical language, but remember this, behind every metaphor, there's a literal truth. Okay, so who's the dragon? Anybody remember? I think it's Revelation 12. Satan. And so Satan is the literal person behind this symbol. And so coming out of the mouth of Satan and out of the mouth of the beast, who's the beast? The Antichrist, the global political leader. And out of the mouth of the false prophet, that's the global religious leader, three unclean spirits like frogs, slimy, nasty, ugly, right? That's a metaphor. So how do you define that metaphor? You don't just define it however you want. You use the Bible to interpret the Bible, and the Bible interprets the metaphor in verse 14. For they are demonic spirits performing signs. Okay, so what are all these demonic spirits going to do right at the end of the tribulation? They go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. And so all the prophets in the Old Testament, all the prophets in the New Testament keep pointing to this great and final day. And Jesus says in parentheses in verse 15, behold, I'm coming like a thief. And he, he will come as a thief for those who don't know him. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on that he may not go about naked and be exposed And look where all these troops, these soldiers, these nations are heading, verse 16. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called what? Armageddon. So the sixth bowl judgment, the Euphrates, miraculously is dried up, and that leads to the battle of Armageddon. And so the Euphrates River starts in Turkey, up on Mount Ararat, the icy slopes of Mount Ararat, and it flows 1,800 miles all the way down to the Persian Gulf. And so when you look on the map, it's hard to find Israel because Israel's the size of New Jersey. But if you look at the Mediterranean Sea on the left side of the map and you go to the eastern shore of the uh, Mediterranean Sea, um, hopefully you can see Lebanon and then Israel underneath it. Uh, But right there is Israel. And what you need to know is that right where that L of Israel touches the, um, the border there on the Mediterranean Sea of Israel, just a few miles to the east is the Valley of Jezreel, the Valley of Megiddo, otherwise known as Armageddon. That's where the last great battle is going to take place before Jesus comes back in Revelation chapter 19. And so... What's happening is that these demonic spirits that are coming from the unholy trinity of the end times, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, these demonic spirits are going to the leaders of the nations, and they're driving the leaders of the nation to send their troops to Israel for the last great battle. It's a march of death. So the the kingdoms in the east, well, they got to march west, but they got to get across the Euphrates River which right now is overflowing. Why? Because during the fourth bowl judgment, you remember the scorching heat? 
That causes the ice on the, on the mountains there in Turkey, uh, Mount Ararat, uh, to melt, right? And the floods the Euphrates River. And so during now the sixth bold judgment, God has to do a miracle. And what does he do? He dries up the Euphrates River so that these nations can continue the death march to Armageddon. Does all this make sense? Verse 17. Isn't it amazing we know exactly how the world's going to end? Right here. You don't have to listen to anybody on Facebook anymore. Just got to open the Bible. It says that the seventh angel poured out his bowl, this is interesting to me, into the air. You guys see that in verse 17? Why in the air? Because he's not just judging mankind, he's judging Lucifer and his angels. You see, the devil is called the prince of the power of what? Of the air. And so this judgment is coming upon Satan and his angels. Why? Because that's, ladies and gentlemen, that's where it all started. It all started when an angel named Lucifer said, I want to be like God. He got all into himself, kind of like our, 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 our culture. And he sinned, he got the boot. A third of the angels who rebelled with him got the boot. Next thing you know, they're deceiving Adam and Eve. They're sinning against God. Everything falls. Creation falls. There's a curse. It's a fallen world. And so the seventh and last, this is the last contraction. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder and a great, what's the word? Earthquake. This is the last one, the mother of them all. An earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. Verse 19, the great city was split into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the Great. We're going to get into all that in chapter 18. To make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And look at the results of the earthquake in verse 20. Every island fled away. No mountains were to be found. You mountain climbers, sorry, the earth's getting flat. Verse 21, and great hailstones... Look at this, about 100 pounds each fell from heaven on people and they cursed God and the plague, I'm sorry, for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. What's the seventh bold judgment? It's a massive earthquake and hailstones. As I've said, this is the mother of all earthquakes. This is the last earthquake in the history of mankind. And I believe that it corresponds with the earthquake in the sixth seal. And so some of this stuff overlaps, okay? And so remember, after that earthquake, the final earthquake, the sun is darkened, the moon looks like blood red, the meteors are falling, the sky is receding. This is like hours now, if not minutes, from the time the Lord is coming back. But after this global shaking, islands are going to sink, mountains are going to be leveled, the cities around the world are going to collapse from this earthquake, all around the world. 
It's so sad to see on television what's happening right now in Mexico City. But, but imagine that times a million all across the world. It's as if God is shaking the world. And so Rome, New York, L.A., London, Paris, Tokyo, Beijing, all the cities are crumbling right now as a result of this last earthquake. What, what God is doing, he's reshaping the world. He's changing the topography to prepare the world for the kingdom age. And you need to know that Isaiah in the 8th century B.C. saw the same thing that John saw in the 1st century A.D. So we're done in Revelation. Here's how we're going to end the service in Isaiah 24. Please turn back to Isaiah 24. Please stay with me all the way to the end here. But starting in Isaiah 24, verse 19. It says, the earth is utterly broken. The earth is split apart. The earth is violently shaken. The earth staggers like a drunken man. It sways like a hut. Its transgressions lie heavy upon it, and it falls, and it will not rise again. You see, the kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Verse 21, on that day, the Lord will punish the... What? Do you see that in verse 21? That's why the seventh bowl is poured out into the air. On that day, the Lord will punish the host of heaven and heaven, the demonic spirits, and the kings of the earth, on the earth. And they, that's the host of heaven, the demonic spirits, along with Satan, will be gathered together as prisoners in a what? In a pit. That's the binding of Satan during the millennial reign of Christ. They will be shut up in prison. After many days, they will be punished. And then the moon will be confounded and the sun ashamed, okay? And so all this judgment and judgment and judgment. But everybody look at me real quick. Listen, here's a principle in the Bible and all the prophetic scriptures that after judgment, there's always restoration. And that's why Isaiah sees at the end of verse 23, the Lord of hosts reigns on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and his glory will be before the elders. And so there's a common theme in the scriptures. Following judgment, there's restoration. And that's why, again, Isaiah sees this, that the Lord is reigning after all that judgment, after the shaking of the earth. And so here's what you need to know. You need to know that after the Lord comes back in Revelation chapter 19, here's what he's going to do. The world is a war zone. And here's what, he, he, here's what he's going to do. He's going to reverse the curse. And he's going to bring the world back to the way it was before Adam and Eve sinned. And he's going to reign first for a thousand years and then forever and ever. Now, some of you are depressed by this message. And I'm just wondering, I'm not going to judge your heart. God knows, you know. I'm just wondering, is the reason you're depressed because you're like, like Lot's wife? You guys remember Lot, right? And his wife? 
as they're fleeing from Sodom, what does Lot's wife do? Oh, the world. King, right? Pillar of salt. Oh, the world. Some of you are so in love with the world. And yet the Bible says in 1 John 2, 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And right now, if you're like, like Lot's wife and you're living for yourself and you're living for your own kingdom and, and you think that the, the, the universe revolves around you, of course a message like this will make you depressed. But if you're like Abraham, who is looking for a city that has foundations, who desi whose designer and builder is God, Hebrews 11, then hey, you realize this world's a vapor, you're here today, gone tomorrow, but what lasts forever? Christ and his kingdom. That lasts forever. And so here's simple applications. Stop living for yourself, live for Christ. Don't make yourself the center, make Christ the center. Be his lifelong disciple. In every single area of your life, let him rule as king. And then my prayer is that your priorities will be Jesus and then others and then yourself. J-O-Y. That's how you get joy in your heart. Prayer partners, come on forward. Let's all stand for closing prayer. Father, thank you for your word. It rings true because it is true. And I pray for all those here that need to make decisions today. I pray that their head will not hit the pillow, that the sun will not go down until they have recommitted their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's where the joy comes. We thank you that in the end you win and because by your grace we know you, we're there by your side. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com. Click on I'm New Here, then Knowing Christ.